Now, change for people is, is not easy. And a lot of times it's difficult when things go through that process of change. And, and we as a church have been going through this transition. Now, we're moving into our third month of the transition. And so, since I had finished the book of Daniel in the beginning of March, I began to pray and say, Lord, what would you like us to look at as the Word of God, as a church moving forward? And, and I felt like the Lord wanted me to, to go into the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus. And I think the reason that the Lord wants to do this is that with transition comes change. Since I'm a new pastor, as a senior pastor, there's things that I want to know from the Word of God, how to lead a church. And 1 Timothy is the perfect book for that. Paul is going to be speaking in this letter to Timothy, if you will, his disciple, his protege. And what happened is, is Paul planted Timothy in Ephesus to take over kind of a fledgling church. And then he heads off to Macedonia. And no sooner does he do that than all of a sudden false teachers kind of arise from within their midst. They're actually some of the leaders in the church, and they start teaching some strange stuff. And so Paul catches wind of this, and he sends back a letter. Now, Timothy was the son of a Greek father and a Jewish mother, and he grew up in a town right outside of a place called Lystra, which is about 25 miles south of Iconium. It's in Central Asia. And Timothy was around in his late teen or early 20s when Paul kind of comes through that region, and he's preaching the gospel. And most scholars feel that Timothy was actually led to Christ by Paul, but more than that, Paul then invested in Timothy's life. Timothy became his disciple. Now, Paul left Lystra for a time, and he ends up coming back. And when he came back, he realized how much Timothy had grown. And he saw that the, this young man had just a hunger for the Lord and a hunger to serve. So what Paul does is he grabs Timothy, and he takes him with him on missionary journeys and, and all the way through middle of Asia. And so Paul takes Timothy to Phygria, Galatia, Mysia, Troas, Philippi, Berea. They end up in Athens. And then in Athens... Paul takes Timothy and he sends him out as a missionary with Silas, and they, and they go all the way to Athens, and then they meet up again in Corinth, and then from Corinth they end up back in Ephesians and Ephesus. And so here, here's where Paul begins to tell Timothy, I need you to serve as the pastor of this church. Now, Ephesus would be in a place where we call modern-day Turkey. What I love about Timothy is he's just a normal guy, and he had his weaknesses, and that gives me a lot of heart right? Because if you look at the way Timothy is, he was considered young. He was considered inexperienced to be a pastor over a church. Also, Timothy was what we call temperamentally shy. He, he was kind of afraid. As a matter of fact, Paul writes in Second Timothy that he had a spirit of timidity. And Timothy was also kind of sickly. He had stomach problems and stuff like that, but God uses his image in any way. God will call the broken, the hurting, oftentimes into service. And so God calls this man Timothy. Well, Timothy begins to encounter problems in this church, and pretty serious problems. They're theological problems. And these false teachers come in, and what happens is they begin to pull people away from the truth. And so Paul wants to write this letter to instruct Timothy how to deal with these false teachers. But not only that, as we walk through this book, 1 Timothy, we're going to find a number of things that we can learn about the church. One is the error in the church and how to fight that, but also how do you develop leadership within a church? And also the importance of sound theology and sound doctrine. 
Also, how do you help people live in godliness and holiness? All these things will be spoken about in this book. This is a very practical book for us. Now, as Christians, God has individually gifted each of us in a certain way to serve in the church. And God expects us to use those gifts. But God also has called in a general way certain things for every Christian to do. When we look this morning at this letter to Timothy, we're going to look basically just at the very first four verses, the greeting of Paul to Timothy. But in this greeting, we're going to discover three truths that God has called every believer to do. And I think we can learn from this that will both bless us, but also bless the church. So let's read the text. We'll be taking a look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Let's read that together. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. Well, the first thing we'll see this morning is that Paul was called as a messenger to spread the gospel, but so are we. Now, Paul has a unique call as an apostle that's unique to him, but he also was called as a messenger. Now, I'm going to focus in on that word apostle because that word basically means messenger. And everyone in this room is called to be a messenger of the gospel for Christ. This is Paul's greeting to Timothy. And and, and Paul doesn't do anything special here outside of what the normal Greco-Roman format was for letters. By the way, epistle means letter. This is the epistle to Timothy. It begins with the author and his identification. And then also included in that is the recipient and his identification. And usually in a letter that's written that we find in the Bible, it's either written to a man, like this one written to Timothy, or it's written to a church. This one's written to Timothy. And Paul introduces himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus here. There are two types of apostles in the New Testament. You have an apostle, which I'll call in a special sense, which would be Paul, has a special calling as an apostle, an overseer, if you will, of the church. But you also have apostle in a general sense. And the word apostle is the Greek word apostolos, and it means one who is sent to be sent out or a messenger. A messenger who brings a message from someone to someone else. And all of us here would be considered an apostle or a messenger of God's word if you know Christ. So in the general sense, the Bible speaks about many general apostles, Barnabas was called an apostle in Acts chapter 14, but he wasn't a special apostle like the apostle Paul. You also read in 1 Corinthians 15, 7, others that were called apostles. In 2 Corinthians 8, 23, they're called messengers, but that same word is used there, apostolos. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, Epaphroditus is called a messenger or an apostolos. So we would be considered the same thing, messengers of the gospel. But Paul calls himself here, apostle of Jesus Christ. This would include him in the 12 apostles. If you remember, 
Judas was disqualified, so they voted in, if you will, Matthias. So now you have a 12 official apostles, and also you have Paul, who was called directly by Jesus Christ. If you will, these special apostles, these were ones who were called specifically by Jesus Christ and trained by Jesus Christ. Paul, speaking of himself in Galatians chapter 1, verse 12, speaking of himself as an apostle, he says, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and these apostles had a special call and a special gifting. They were gifted to communicate the gospel, but also they were given certain gifts, such as casting out demons and healing the sick, certain, if you will, miracle uh, gifts that they were given for this particular time in the first century as the gospel was going out and being spread throughout that region. This is what Jesus said to Ananias, who was going to go speak to Paul after his Damascus Road experience. Listen to what he says to Paul. In Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, he says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he, being Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my sake. Would you like to hear that from the Lord? I just thought I'd give you a call here, how much you're going to suffer for my sake. Paul answered that call. The scales fell down from his eyes. He was no longer blind. And then he goes out and he begins to preach the gospel of Christ. But what I want us as a church to look at this morning is this idea of a messenger. Each of us here is called to be a messenger, an apostolos, in a general sense of the gospel. We cannot get around this one in Scripture, guys. This is one that is laid on everyone who names the name of Christ. You will be commanded through the Scriptures that we are to share Him with others. We are to bring it to other people's lives. And no matter how much you want to say, it's my job, it's not my job. Actually, my job is to equip you to go out and be a messenger. That's my job. But all of us together are called to be, in the general sense, a messenger. And I think one of the best examples in Scripture is Philip. And the reason I choose Philip is Paul, before he had that name, Paul was known as Saul, right? Well, he starts persecuting the church. He was there when Stephen was stoned. And now he begins to persecute the church in Jerusalem. And as he brings in persecution, the church begins to scatter. But I want you to hear what happens to these believers who would say, just sit in the pew, what they do. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word of God. These are general apostles. These are messengers. And they knew. They left Jerusalem. Guess what? They went out and they spread the gospel. Now, speaking of Philip, in verse 5 of chapter 8 in Acts, it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and he began proclaiming Christ to them. And in verse 12, it says, But when they believed Philip's preaching and the good news about the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Philip just simply did this. He didn't go out and do mass evangelism. He didn't set up a tent, call thousands of people in. He just went person to person. And he started to share his faith, and people started to believe and they were added to the church. This is going to be a little sales pitch. We have an evangelism ministry that started last week. It was just an intro. You're welcome to join it. The number one reason people don't share their faith is they feel uncomfortable that they don't know how to share their faith. And the reason we offer classes to try to help you know how to share your faith is that when that person that's led to you by God and you have that divine appointment, you'll know what to say. 
They meet on Monday night, 6 o'clock. This week, they're going to meet in the fellowship hall. In seven weeks from now, you will know how to share the gospel. And you'll have the confidence to go do that. And my encouragement to you in the church, I just think, man, if we got this concept as a church, if we really got it, and every one of us actually became a messenger for Christ regularly, just part of our life, we could turn Mission Viejo upside down with who's in this room right now. If we're open, just willing. Matter of fact, it's interesting. When I finally learned just how to kind of share the simple gospel, I found God brings the people to me. If you're open and willing, God will be, be willing to bring people to you so you can share with them the truth. Now, Paul writes that he's this apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, the reason Paul wrote that in this letter is because it carries weight. Understand, this letter is going to be read to the church. They're going to bring it up, read it before everybody. So he's letting everyone who reads this letter know, I am an apostle, a special apostle called out by God, and I've written this letter to you. That weight is to support Timothy in what he's going to have to do. So Paul, with that apostolic weight behind him, says, according to the commandment of God, our Savior. So Paul here is saying he has a direct charge from God, a direct commandment. As a matter of fact, that commandment, that word is epitage, and it refers to a royal command that is not negotiable. It is from a superior speaking to an inferior. Paul is saying, I am an apostle commanded by God, our Savior, to write this to you right now. Listen up, church, because what I'm going to share with you is directly from him. He's basically saying, this is scripture to you. Listen up. And so Paul writes, an apostle, then he says, according to God our Savior, Christ Jesus, and Christ Jesus, who is our hope. I love what Paul does here, because what he's doing is he's building theology right up front because you have these false teachers right there. He's saying God is our Savior. Jesus is our hope. And what he does here, he says, he uses God's plan. He's saying God's plan is to save. We have a God who wants nothing more than to see people come into the kingdom of God. Now, I love the way Paul does this. When he writes Titus, he explains the gospel really clear in Titus. Can you turn there? Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. What Paul's going to do in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, he's going to show the before and after. The before, the natural man without Christ, and then the after. And he's going to say it's all God. Let's read it. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. Paul writing says, For we also were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spinning our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That is a picture of the natural man. This is a person, the natural condition before a person has come to know Christ. But then look at what he says in verse 4. But when the kindness, and there it is again, God our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. It's not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but it's according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Before Christ, he says, you guys were foolish, you're enslaved to sin, you're hateful. 
after Christ, he says, the kindness of God draws us into repentance, establishes us into the kingdom. And what Paul is doing, he's linking the Father and the Son in God's salvation plan here. He's simply saying that salvation began with God and it was brought to us through Christ. God is our Savior. Christ is our hope. God our Savior is past tense. We're saved by Him. Christ our hope is future tense. We have a future resurrection, a guarantee that we will be raised again because He was raised again. And that's our message. This is the mandate. We get the privilege to take this message out, out of these doors, out to the people out there. And it is a true privilege. And what Paul does is he says, this is the mandate. This is how he puts it in 2 Corinthians 5.18. He says, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He says, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the word to himself. He's not counting their trespasses against him, but he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. In verse 20, Paul says of 2 Corinthians 5, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. And so God's making an appeal through us, be reconciled to God. This is our call to be a messenger. You could say, or an ambassador. Each of us can't work our way around that call. It's just plain in the text. Paul is a special messenger given special gifts. But we would be a general messenger, one who needs to go out. You know, I read a study by Scientific American that says that the average person speaks 16,000 words a day. And most people think they probably speak that to a lot of different people. They say the average person will speak to between 7 and 15 people in a day. But as they did the study, they began to say, well, who do you share most of those words with? And it was narrowed down to usually less than five people we, we spend most of those 16,000 words with. And it's usually family members, friends, and if you will, confidants, people that we trust. So 80% of what we share is usually between two to three people. That's 13,000 words. I just had a thought. What if we just took some of those words and once a week we said we're going to go tell somebody about Christ? So that day you get 16,000 and say, Lord, this week, these seven days, today's the first day. Would you bring someone in my path? Make me a messenger. Right now in this room, I would say we could reach, let's see, that'd be about 50, let's say, people per person. We'd reach about 1,000 people this year for Christ. If each of us just shared a simple message of Christ with one person a week, that's 50 people. Give them two days, you know, a couple weeks off. What an impact we could have for Mission Viejo. Paul was called to be a messenger to spread the gospel. So are we. Second thing we see is Timothy was called to be a dis- as a disciple to make disciples. S- Timothy was called as a disciple to make disciples, and so are we. We are the product of God's grace. God called us through the truth of His Word and by His Spirit, and suddenly we're in the kingdom of God. But many of us are also the product of of a more mature Christian that's come into our life and they've spoken into our life and they've invested in us. Timothy was definitely that guy. Look at verse 2. Paul says to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus 
our Lord. And I love the way Paul puts this to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Paul designates Timothy as a, as a very special person in his life. Now, the reason I think he said he's his true child is, one, I think he had a part in Timothy coming to faith. And so I think there's a responsibility. If you've ever had the privilege to lead someone to Christ, I look at this as a responsibility now for you to help them grow in Christ. And Paul took that very seriously. He poured out his life into Timothy. And so there's a twofold there. One is he had the privilege to lead him to Christ, but also now he invests He gives back, if you will. He becomes the mentor, Timothy the disciple, and Paul begins to pour out his life into Timothy. Now, we do know that Timothy came from a godly home. Both his mother and grandmother were godly. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, Paul says, I'm mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. So he comes from this heritage. And then Paul comes in preaching the word of God. And I think his grandmother and his mother came to faith. And I think at that time, Timothy came to faith. Spiritually, Timothy was his true child in the faith. He was a true disciple of Paul. And and a disciple is one who has learned from and is influenced by another. Now, guys, we serve Christ and not man. That is a given. But the way God has designed the church, it's like a family. God has designed us to to reach out to others like a family. And there's two basic forms of discipling. We could call it formal discipling and informal discipling. Formal discipling is like when you have a child and you want them to learn something specific, maybe book learning or something practical, you sit down and you train them, you help them as a parent would that loves their children. But then you have informal training, don't you? You live life together. You do stuff together. You interact together. That's discipling. It includes both. And Paul did both with Timothy. And I think more than anyone else, Timothy would be his protege. Timothy would be the one as a disciple of Paul. But Timothy understood this, make disciples. Timothy reflects the character of Christ because Paul reflected the character of Christ. And then Timothy was instructed by Paul how to live this out. And you're going to see these character traits in Timothy, particularly in the book of Philippians. Paul gives us a little synopsis of these character traits that we see in Timothy. Go to Philippians chapter 2. I want you to see this. These are character traits that were evident in Paul, but we also see them in Timothy. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. Now, Paul wrote the book of Philippians to the Philippian church. And Paul's desire was to send to them Timothy. And so here in in the second chapter, Paul begins to say, hey, I want to send Timothy to you. Let's look at there. Philippians chapter 2, 19 through 23, Paul says, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, but not those of Christ Jesus. But you know that he has proven worth, and he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately, immediately to you as soon as I see how things go with me. And what I have saw in this is five things, just character traits that you see with Timothy. First, when you look at verse 19, I see that Timothy had discernment and he was dependable. If you look at verse 19, he says, I hope to send... Um, I hope to send in Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly 
so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. Paul had confidence that when Timothy go there, he's going to have the discernment to read their spiritual condition and their physical condition. He was trustworthy. He was dependable. Paul's a dependable man. Timothy was a dependable man. So we see that character trait in him. Also in Timothy, he was like-minded like Paul in verse 20, for I have no one else of kindred spirit. I have no one else like this man. He thinks like I think, right? That's a disciple of another. And also he has a servant's attitude. When you look at the end of verse 20, it says, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy put others first, just as Paul would put others first. Timothy's also priority was to honor Christ above all else. Look at verse 21. For they all seek after their own interest, but not those of Christ Jesus. But Timothy always put Christ first, just as Paul did. And there's a last one. Timothy was proven. He was tested. Paul was with Timothy by the time they got to Philippi, 12 years. They've been missionaries together. They lived together. He poured out his life into Timothy. Together they poured out their lives into others. He had, had a proven worth there that Paul says there in verse 22, but you know his proven worth that he served with me. With all this being said, when you go back to 1 Timothy, let's go back there. Paul connects what binds Timothy and he together in God's family. Look at verse 2 again. He says, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Timothy is going to need these three things as a pastor. He's definitely going to need God's mercy, his grace, and his peace. But this is what binds them together, guys. Together through Christ, they have these things. And and this is a picture, if you will, of the human condition, what we all need. We all need God's grace. Grace is God's kindness on the undeserving sinner. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. We don't deserve His grace, but He gives it to us freely. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. We do deserve judgment, but God poured out His mercy on us and on Paul and Timothy. And also this, he says, in peace, in Christ, we have peace with God. We're no longer alienated to Him. This is how Timothy is is pouring out his service to others also. So Timothy's call as a true child of faith was to follow Christ by following Paul's example. I want to share with you how to be a disciple Now, we know from Matthew, we are commanded to make disciples. We talked about that last week in our Easter message. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But guys, don't you hate to be guilted in to do something? And I knew with this message, I I feel like I'm going to be hammering you to try to guilt you in to making disciples. So I want to share with you what Paul says. It's an easy formula. Be an example to somebody because that's the way Paul did it. Listen to Paul in Philippians 3.17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. This is discipleship 101. This is Paul saying, brethren, I'm going to be living among you. I'm going to be walking with you. Just watch me. Live with me. Get to know me. Discipleship doesn't always have to be formal. I've found for the most part, real discipleship happens in those informal moments. 
It has a combination of both. You have to be secure in your theology, know the Word of God, bring that when it's appropriate. But love is a wonderful bridge and a wonderful way to disciple people, to bring them in. And there is a goal in discipling, and Paul says it in Colossians 1.28. He says, we proclaim Him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, that we may present every man mature in Christ. That's the goal. Bottom line, what Paul is saying here is walk with people along the way and there'll be opportunities when you do. They'll be watching your life and they'll say, wow, he believes in Jesus. She believes in Jesus. Wow, when that crisis hit, that's how they handled it. Oh, I get it. They prayed. They sought the Lord. They sought the help of other Christians. That's called discipleship. It's an example. A number of years ago, I was out bringing the message of Christ. I was literally street witnessing, going in apartments door-to-door with my church. This is a number of years back. And I finished, and I was going to my car, and I hear somebody yell out in this apartment complex, Hey, Rob Miller! And I turn around, and it was a guy by the name of Dave Kredovitz. The Dave Kredovitz I knew when I was in college. I was working at a grocery store as a checker. And Dave was one of the managers in the grocery store. And he happened to move from San Diego and was living up here. And you know what I thought? Ding, ding, divine appointment. God doesn't just not bring people together by chance. And so he literally runs. He's like on the third floor. He runs down, comes over. We talk. And within our conversation, I invited Dave and his fiance, I found out, to dinner. And so my wife and I, we had dinner with them. I want to tell you a real simple way to disciple somebody. Invite them to something. Dinner, church, special event. You're not on the hook to have all the answers. In fact, sometimes we just tell you to invite people to church because it's a real easy way. The discipleship stuff doesn't happen when you're sitting here. It happens at lunch, right? When they're asking you about the message that was preached and and the things that they heard. So what I did with Dave Kredovitz, it was right before Easter. I invited him to Easter in the Meadows. I figured, what the heck? Give it a shot. He said, yes. So we went to the Easter in the Meadows. We sat up on the grass there. And we're hearing Chuck Smith preach. It was great. The only problem was I looked over and Dave was on the grass asleep (laughs) during the message. I literally had to, Dave, Dave, you got to hear this, right? You never know how the Holy Spirit will work. And so the best time to actually work as a disciple, to share your life, so we're walking out with the crowd, and Dave turns to me and says, what does he mean that he is risen? Great question. I said, you know, brother, let's go talk in my car. We sat in my car for two and a half hours in the parking lot, and Dave received Christ. Opportunities. The best way to do it is just involve yourself in somebody's life. You don't have to have it all nailed down. But we're called to be that. We're called as a disciple and to make a disciple. Now, some of you are saying to yourself, well, Pastor Rob, I really don't have any theological training. I don't have it all nailed down, and I'm afraid if if they ask me something that I don't know, I won't have the answer. You don't have to have the answer. You just say, I can get the answer. But people are made different. I'm very different than my wife, very different. My style is kind of frontal. I, I have no problem going up to somebody and just, Let's talk. Let's, you know, kind of, some people think that's a little rough, a little hard. My wife is the exact opposite. My wife has never been with me street witnessing. Makes me really sad. (laughs) Why? She's different. 
But my wife, she's praying for somebody. She's thinking about somebody. She's inviting somebody over to bake cookies or, or to have lunch. And, and then she invites them to a women's event. Or It's just a process. She works much slower, process time. I'm much more quick. And God uses both. But either way, he still calls us to do it. However you're built, take it. Let God use it. And we'll see what God will do. It's, it's awesome to watch. Two things we've seen. Paul's called as a messenger to spread the gospel. So are we. Timothy was called as a disciple to make disciples. So are we. And there's a third one. Timothy was called to be a soldier to fight for truth. And so are we. Every believer is called to take a stand. And your stand is to be truth, the Word of God. I call it, when you're in the Word of God and you're standing on that, you're in safe zone. As long as it's the Word of God, you're safe. So let's look at verses 3 and 4. Paul says to Timothy, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation, rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. So Paul was calling Timothy here to remain. Now remember, Timothy has this kind of timid personality. I think Paul is, he's saying, brother, don't leave. I think Timothy's natural is like, I'm out of here. And so I think Paul's really here. And the word there, urge, is called parakaleo. It means to beg, to implore. It's very serious. Paul is like saying, dude, do not leave the church. Stand your ground. And this is a really big deal to Paul. And what he says here, he says, instruct certain men. And and that word instruct, it it doesn't mean to teach. It means to command. It's of of a superior commanding an inferior Just do something. So he's saying, you instruct those men. You command those men to not teach this strange doctrine. Now, wherever a church is planted, Satan is going to try to come in. And what Satan wants to do is he wants to bring in false doctrine, strange teachings, something that is not the truth. He wants to deflect people away from the Word of God, to capture them, right? Now, if you're a Christian... Satan has lost control of your soul. The Lord has that. However, if he can get you sidelined, all confused about saying doctrine, you're kind of left on the roadside, kind of wallowing in mire, don't know what to do. He just moves on. Satan's goal is always to derail us, and often his attack is truth. Listen to what Paul says in Titus chapter 1, verses 10 and 11 about false teachers. He says, for there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. These were Jews who were going around teaching a false message. Who must be silenced because they're upsetting whole families, teaching things that should not teach for the sake of sword gain. And so wherever Paul went and he planted a church, there were problems within that church. And usually it was doctrinal truth. Now Paul speaks about these people at Ephesus in the book of Acts in chapter 20. Verses 29 and 30. Now, these are leaders from within the church that began to teach false doctrine. Let's see how Paul speaks about them. This is Acts 20, 29 and 30. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. He calls these false teachers wolves. And if you look at verse 3, he says they're teaching what? Strange doctrines. 
things that aren't correct. They're weird. They're different. This is what Paul says. If anyone preaches anything that's different than what the apostles taught, for us that would be the New Testament. If anyone begins to proclaim something that is not found in the Old and the New Testament, particularly for us in the New Testament, Paul says they are to be accursed. That means cursed by God. This is what he said about the false teachers that came into Galatia. Let me read that for you. Galatians 1.8. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. Paul is saying anybody, and then he throws in a heavenly angel. He says, if anybody brings some kind of false doctrine into the church, they're accursed by God. And so what he's saying to Timothy here, particularly in verse 4, is stand against it. Look at verse 4 in 1 Timothy chapter 1. He says, nor pay attention to myths and endless genealogies, which give rise to mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God by faith. So Paul uses the word myths. Myths are legends or stories. It's not true. It's stuff that doesn't make sense. Here's an interesting statistic. 80% of those who are in cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons were people in mainline denominational churches. 80%. They would have claimed that they knew Jesus, but they didn't have understanding. Now, if you're a Jehovah's Witness, you believe in Jesus, but it's a different Jesus. You believe that Jesus is Michael the archangel, the first creation of Jehovah of God. He came here as a man, and he left as a phantom or a spirit. That is nowhere in Scripture. If you're a Mormon, you believe that God used to be a man on another planet, and it was near a star called Kolob. And you have the potential to be a God yourself if you're a man. If you're a woman, sorry, you're out. You get to procreate those planets. They're lies. They're myths. That's false doctrine, false teaching. No, the Mormons are not Christian. No, Jehovah's Witnesses are not Christian. Why? Because the Bible teaches us clearly that they're not. But people want to come into the church, and we, I'm talking we, we stand against it. We fight against it. Now, here, Paul uses endless genealogies. We don't really know what that is. It's not clear. But these false teachers were, were, were doing something about the genealogies, probably within the Jewish, Jewish people. And they were using it somehow to steer people away from the truth. But what Paul is doing here is he's commanding Timothy to fight. He's saying, Timothy, stand up against this. As a matter of fact, when you look at 1 Timothy, twice in 1 Timothy, he says, fight. First, in the first chapter, and then at the end of the book. So chapter 1, verse 18, listen to what Paul says. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you will fight the good fight, keeping the faith and a good conscience which some have rejected and have suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. So right up front, chapter 1, fight it, Timothy, fight for truth. Now at the end, chapter 6, Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, and you have been made as a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul is saying, Timothy, fight this thing. When you're with people that begin to share false doctrine, not speak the truth, in love, speak the truth. Stand against it. Peter put it like this at the end of his letter. He says, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. And then he says, stand firm in it. That's the idea. 
We as God's people are called to stand firm in the truth. What truth is that? Guys, it's the gospel. It's the gospel message. That we, where Paul said in Titus, we were so lost without any hope. We we would die in our sins unless God did something. And so God, in His love and His mercy and His grace, He sent His only begotten Son, the perfect one, the perfect God-man, the only 200% person, 100% God, 100% man, fully God, fully man. He lives the life we can't live. He comes as a substitute for you and me. He dies a terrible death. And when a person repents, they see their sin, they turn from their sin to Christ, and receives Christ as both Savior and Lord. It's important. A lot of people want to have Jesus as Savior, fire insurance, but not Lord. Jesus is Lord. We receive Him as Savior and Lord. Change takes place. We are, as the Bible says, born again. That's what we fight for. That's the battle line. That's where we draw the line. And each of us as God's people is called to it. We need to fight for truth. Now, I read a wonderful letter by Abe Lincoln. Now, it's not necessarily fighting for gospel truth, but boy, it's, just, it's a great letter. I got to read it to you because he's, he's fighting for truth to try to help someone he loves. Abraham Lincoln in 1850 is writing to his stepbrother, John Johnston, and he, John Johnston wrote him again, and he wanted a loan to pay off some debts. And on previous occasion, Abe Lincoln had given him the money. But this time, Abe takes a different tack. Listen to his letter. Dear Johnston, your request for $80, I do not think it is best to comply with now. At various times when I have helped you a little, you have said to me, we can get along very well now. But in a very short time, I find you are in some difficulty again. Now, this can only happen by some defect in your conduct. What that defect is, I think I know. You are not lazy, and still you are idle. I doubt whether since I saw you that you have done a good whole day's work in any one day. This habit of uselessly wasting time is the whole difficulty. It is vastly important to you, and still more to your children, that you should break the habit. You are now in need of some money. And what I propose is that you should go to work tooth and nail for somebody who will give you money. And to secure your fair reward and your labor, I now promise you that for every dollar you will, between this and the first of May, get for your own labor, I will then give you one dollar. Now, if you will do this, you will soon be out of debt. And what is better, you will have the habit that will keep you from getting in debt again. But if I should just clear you of your debt, next year you'd be just as deep in debt as ever. That's fighting for truth, isn't it? We too are called to fight for truth, the truth of the gospel. And I pray that as a church, we take that call to heart. We take the call to be a messenger and proclaim the message. We take the call to make disciples and begin to pour into people's lives. And we take the call to stand for truth. If we do that, I believe God's blessing will be upon this church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. And thank you for the truth of the scriptures. Lord, 
We honestly know that we need your help to do these things. We are weak, and we know that we can't do them on our own. But Lord, we see that you were faithful, that you've given us so much in Christ. And even, Lord, you, by your Holy Spirit, can lead us when we speak to people. I pray that you would help us even this week. In Jesus' name.